Once again, welcome. I also am not the normal pastor here, so it's a special Sunday for you. If you're here as a visitor, you've just got to come back and got to hear Luke. Uh, my name is Wes Calton. I'm the RUF campus minister at Colorado State. Uh, if you're not familiar with RUF, it's Reform University Fellowship. Luke was actually a member of that before he came here with this call. And so it's a really special thing for me to get to be here this morning with you to share God's word. Um, because Luke and I were in a prayer group. Um, one of the things that RUF does, we have training twice a year, and we're always with the same guys to pray together. It's one of the best things we do in our training, in my opinion. And uh, for several years, Luke was sharing with us to pray about uh, discerning a call, a desire to be ministering in Colorado. So to many years later, be standing here in this church, uh, the, the church that he's now at, and um, looking at God's word with you is a special thing for me. I was supposed to be here a few months ago, to, to preach and then to probably ski with Luke. Um, but I was the person who had the, the double COVID strep thing, which was still kind of surreal in my mind that that happened. I was like, really, both of them at the same time? Um, so it, it's a pleasure to get to be with you here on Palm Sunday. We're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 19. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up and, and look there or Bible app. I think it'll also be here on the screen, yep. Uh, we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40, and uh, to begin our time together in God's word, I'd like to read this for us, and then I'd like to invite you to join me in prayer that we'd go to the throne of grace together. This is Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Then he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. He sent two of the disciples, saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent, went, who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, uh, we come here this morning and we, we worship you and honor you. We have worshiped you in song and in prayer. Um, Father, we have worshiped you in fellowship together. And as we turn attention to your word this morning, would you help us to continue to worship you by giving ear to your word, uh, by being honest with ourselves and with you as we are confronted by your, your word this morning? Um, Father, especially as we, we draw near to Easter and as Jesus in this passage draws near to Jerusalem, would you help us to see Jesus clearly this morning? Um, Father, would you be at work by your spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if I asked you to think about royal processions, what comes to mind you might think of many things. If I were to answer that question and I wanted to 
try and posture as a really cultural person. I might speak of great English processions of, of royalty. I might think of the pageantry of Napoleon. But I'm, I'm not going to try and impress you this morning. I'm going to be honest. When I think of a royal procession, I think of Aladdin. I think of the original Aladdin. You know, the newer one's fine. But uh, I think of Aladdin. I think of the, the Prince Ali song, right, where Aladdin, this street urchin, is like, I will win Jasmine's heart if I show up looking like a prince, talking like a prince, acting like a prince. And so there's that, that giant procession, if you're not familiar with the movie, where he shows up and Prince Ali, mighty is he, Ali Ababwa, right? He, just, just in case you forgot, he has 75 golden camels, 53 peacocks, 95 white Persian monkeys, 60 elephants, llamas galore, bears and lions, a brass band, and more. Um, that is a royal procession, right? That is something to catch someone's eye, to say, I'm here, look at me, I am royalty, right? We think of royal processions as a, as a way of making a statement about a king or queen's reign, about their, their dynasty, about what is happening. You're trying to put forward this image of, of success, of abundance. And it's interesting because Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, right? He's entering into his city, to the city of Israel. This is the promised king, coming home, coming home to die. And it doesn't have any of the pomp and circumstance that we would normally associate with it. It has some celebration. It has some singing. The red carpet leaves a little bit to be desired as it's other people's coats. You know, that's nice, but it's different. And yet, uh, I think just as other royal processions seek to say something about the king, the procession we see before us this morning in this passage is meant to speak to something of who Jesus is and the uniqueness of his kingdom. And so as we take some time to look at this, I hope we'll see that, that Jesus is indeed a king who's worthy of our praise, who's worthy of our trust, because he is a king who came in power, even if it's not the power we typically associate with the king. He's a king who comes in humility, a humility that is unlike any other. And finally, he's a king who comes in fulfillment of a purpose that God had before the foundation of the world. He comes in fulfillment of prophecy. And so this king who came is worthy of praise. He's worthy of our honor. That's what I want us to wrestle with this morning and, and consider. And first, I want us to consider what makes him worthy of praise. It's that he came in power. If you look at uh, the passage in front of you in verses 29 through 34, and then again in verse 37, there's several evidences, even in this passage, of the power of Jesus. For one, uh, his disciples begin to praise him, don't they? At the end of verse 37, he comes uh, a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. The disciples are, are keenly aware of the, the powerful miracles that Jesus has worked among them. At this point, the Pharisees too probably are begrudgingly aware of these mighty things that Jesus has done. He has shown that he is power, powerful over sickness, over death, that he is powerful over the creation itself, the storms have listened to him. And yet even in this passage, he continues to show that he is in control of things, right? It's a kind of a strange exchange in verses 29 to 34, right? You're going to go and find this donkey and they're going to, the owner's going to be like, why are you taking my donkey? And you're just going to say, the Lord has need of it and that's going to be cool. I don't think, <laughs> if someone came to took your, take your donkey or whatever livestock you may or may not have, I don't think you would just be like, oh, cool, the Lord has need of it. Of course, right? It, it's, it's more than just like this, they might be confused and let you have it. Jesus is in control of what's happening. 
Jesus knows what needs to happen, and we're going to talk about this more later. He knows what needs to happen even in accord with God's word and the prophecies that have been made about him. And so Jesus is in control in this situation. Jesus has power over this situation. His power is unlike any other power, right? I might claim to have power and authority over my children. Um, it's dubious, you know, especially with one of them in here. I don't want to give too many of my secrets away, right? But we're, we're just like, yeah, you have to sleep, I hope. And uh, you, you have to follow this or there will be consequences, and I hope these consequences will speak to you and you'll actually do this thing, right? Our power and authority isn't like Jesus' power and authority. His knowledge of all things, his control of all things, and his power is at work for his people. His power is noticeable because Jesus knows where he is headed. He knows he is marching to his death. And notice that his power does not prevent that death, but instead his power is actually serving that. Um, you're going to go find this donkey, and that donkey's going to help me ride to this place where I will be betrayed and murdered. Jesus wasn't killed by accident. It's not a trap that he didn't see coming. Jesus lays down his life willingly. No one takes it from him. He, lay, he is going to lay down his life, and so his power is all the more startling and worthy of, of honor, worthy of consideration, because that power is being used to lead to his own sacrifice. Not to prevent his suffering, not to avoid suffering, but to actually lay down the suffering that, that must be done for his people in order for his people to be redeemed from sin. Um, I hope that's something that's compelling to you. If you're here this morning, skeptical, cynical of, of the Bible, I mean, thank you for being here. Thank you for even taking time to listen to someone like me to speaking to this. Uh, I, I hope you'll, you'll spend time considering the power of Jesus being used to sacrifice himself. Such a contradictory picture, an opposite picture of all the abuse of power many of us are familiar with. We tend to think of corruption when we hear the word power, maybe. And yet Jesus is using this power to march to his death. Jesus is worthy of our honor and our praise, not just because of the power he displays even in this passage, but he's also a king who came in humility. If you look at verses 35 and 36, especially when you think about the Aladdin song, when you think about the kings and queens of old, the way we think about processions, it is a humble procession, isn't it? Uh, we're like, it's, it's great that it's a donkey that hasn't been ridden on. That certainly speaks to Jesus' being set apart, his being holy, um, as it often does in the Old Testament. But it's still just a donkey with a cloak thrown over it. It doesn't even get like a nice, ornate, leather saddle you know, that, that, that really speaks to some artist's uh, love for, for, for that, that, that artistry of working that leather. He doesn't get uh, a, a robe, a rich robe trailing behind that people have to pick up and carry. Uh, he gets some people throwing their jackets on the ground. So there's worship and there's honor, but it still is such a, a humble picture. Jesus doesn't stop the procession and say, I am the son of God. This isn't up to snuff. <laughs> we need to do a better job here. He doesn't stop the procession and say, I need music, I need cymbals, I need gongs. Right? He knows that he's worthy of praise. Verse 40, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He is worthy of honor and praise. And yet he receives what his people give him. He is humble. And I think that humility is all the more striking and beautiful in light of what we've just said about his power. 
in light of the power that he's displayed, the control he has, right? We might say that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player, but we would not say that Michael Jordan is the most humble basketball player ever. Uh, that just would not be, right? It's, it's so uncommon to see these two things wedded together. I had a history teacher in high school that loved to say uh, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And I remember one time I was trying to be smart, and I was like, well, you know, what about David? Because I grew up in the church, and I was, you know, spiritual. She was like, have you read the Bible? <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, dang it, that's right. Um, yeah, even in the Bible, right? Now, we might quibble with that a little bit and say, well, really, power just kind of reveals what was already in our hearts. But it, nevertheless, to see Jesus moving towards his death and even his skeptics, the Pharisees who are doubting him with humility, um, it's striking. And I hope that's something else that is, that is compelling for you if you're considering Jesus this morning, the, the, the striking combination of his humility with his power. Because ultimately, this is the sort of king we long for and need. This is the sort of leader and politician we wish we had, right? Someone who actually had power to do something, but had genuine humility, thinking of others, putting others before himself, before their self. This is what we long for. And yet it is so rare, so uncommon. And, and I think it's something that challenges us, isn't it? Is humility something that we put a high value on? Or do we tend to view it as a, a lesser virtue? Do we view humility as something that kind of waters down or weakens real power, strength? Jesus is a savior who confronts us when we start to think like the world does about power and about what matters, about what it looks like to be successful and so Jesus is a, a king who's worthy of our praise. Finally, though, he's worthy of our praise most of all because he came in fulfillment of God's plan, of prophecy. Um, in verses 35 to 38, we've already mentioned how it is kind of a strange exchange. Uh, why even include the method of getting to Jerusalem for Jesus? And yet, uh, I think Luke understands that this is important to record because it is indeed a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, I'll read that for you. The prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, Jesus understood that he was fulfilling prophecy. And in fulfilling that prophecy, he is showing that he understands that he is coming to bring salvation. That his great power and his great humility are not just great things in and of themselves, um, but they will be wedded together to serve the purpose of God in delivering his people. And it's, it's a beautiful thing, and yet it's, it's the crucial thing that I would argue is kind of missing even in this passage from those around Jesus. We know from the other Gospels what happens um, to Jesus' followers when he is arrested. We know that for many of them, they did not really understand what the Messiah actually stood for. And even later in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 24 on the Emmaus Road, 
we'll, we'll see these doubting disciples who clearly have missed the, 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 the idea of what the Christ is, right? They're like, he's died, this can't have been him. And Jesus supernaturally confronts them on that road. And he says that their problem wasn't a problem of data or facts. Um, they'd heard the testimony of the women who'd gone to the tomb. He said that they were slow and, and foolish of heart to believe all that the prophets had said concerning the Christ. They had a failure to believe God's word problem. They had a failure to believe what God's word said about who the Christ really was and what he came for. They had a failure to believe in the purpose of Jesus. They had made the Christ out to be probably what a lot of people in that day um, had made him out to be, which is deliverance from this oppressive foreign power, uh, a political savior. Um, the, the, the other irony of this passage, so that the, the disciples are cry, crying out these praises and it's clear based on their behavior later that they, they didn't really fully understand what they were saying. Uh, the Pharisees were told are in the crowd, right? And they're the ones that are like, Jesus, you need, to, you need to shut this down. They're saying things they shouldn't be saying. And yet the Pharisees are the ones most of all who should have known the prophecies. If anyone present should have said, oh man, not only has this guy done all of these miracles and all of these signs, now he's riding into Jerusalem on a foal. Like they were the ones that should have known God's word. They were the ones who prided themselves on holding to the true religion as opposed to the Sadducees. They were holding fast to God's word. And yet they fail to see that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy before their very eyes. Instead, all they can say is, people shouldn't be praising you. This is not right. And, and this is what it's so important for us to see, right? The good news is only good news when it's, it's put into the perspective and the understanding of Jesus's purpose in coming and dying and raising from the dead, right? If, mentioned Michael Jordan earlier. If, if all Michael Jordan did, if he was just as good of a basketball player as he was, but he just stayed in his driveway and beat the local neighborhood kids, one, we would probably think, that's weird, you're kind of a bully. Two, we would be like, that's not that impressive, right? You're not, you're not actually winning anything, achieving anything. What is the purpose in that? Um, in the same way, someone could be really humble and sweet, and oh my goodness, they just make you feel so loved when you're around them, but ultimately, humility is, is so much more powerful and impactful when it actually seeks to serve others when it has a purpose in it. Not just nice words, although those are sweet. You can still say nice things to me. I appreciate it. Um, Christ's power and humility are working together to serve the Father's purpose of redeeming a sinful people. Christ's power and humility are coming together to answer the question the Bible has been asking from the very beginning. How can a holy and perfect God be with a sinful and rebellious people? And yet God has said also from the beginning, I will be with my people. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution. Jesus' purpose is central to who he is. If he's just a, a good example to you, if he's just a role model, if he's just a teacher with some nice ideas, that is not the Christ of the Bible. That's not a Christ worth putting trust in. That is just someone we've made of our own imagination. And so I hope this morning you hear an invitation to trust in the, in the Savior and the coming King, the King who came, who came with the purpose of being with you, 
who desires to be with his people and was willing to make that ultimate sacrifice in order to secure that, in order to go. And, and I've been reserving up until this point to say this, that for many of us, sometimes the, the, the power of God and the power of Jesus can be a little bit unsettling. Um, if we're honest with, with our, our doubts and fears, sometimes when we see hard things happening in the world, we might say, what, what is happening here? Can God be true? Is this, is this real? And yet, I think this is the crucial point for me that, that I cling to, even when I don't have understanding, um, is that, that God is at work in his purpose, that his power and his kindness and his love are at work in a purpose. And we can see that here as Jesus marches to the cross, as this evil moment looms closer, and I use that word evil very intentionally, right? As evil men plan and plot to kill the one who made them and sustains them and loves them. As we march towards that moment, we can look at that moment and say, well, we can see God's purpose at work here. Um, but there's many, many evil moments in this world where we, we don't fully know or understand God's purpose. Part of the invitation of a passage like this is to see and trust that God is at work even when we don't understand. Because the, the Savior who stands behind the plan is both able, powerful, but also is willing and merciful and humble. Um, we may not understand all the turns that plan takes, but we trust in the one who is steering it and who is serving it, and who is bringing it into existence. As we, as we conclude our time together in this, this passage this morning, if you were pr present at Jesus' procession, where would you be? Um, I'd like to think, a lot of us would probably be like, man, I'd, I'd be looking for more coats to throw down. I'd be, I'd be there, I'd be maybe even find some red carpet. But I, I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we, we would say, you know, I probably would have ignored the king who comes, like the Pharisees. I'd be like, what are these people doing? Um, Maybe this morning you would admit that you've written off his power and his humility because you're trying to be your own king, relying on your own strength, able to, to pull yourself up by those bootstraps, those proverbial bootstraps. Not many of us have bootstraps these days. Maybe you are like the disciples. You've gotten excited about Jesus, especially his power, but you still tend to think of him more in, in the ways that you want to think of him, as the savior you want rather than the savior who he actually is according to God's word. Maybe there's no room in your world for a king who rides on a donkey. I mean, I could see a lot of people on the street just being like, nope, not interested in something as silly as that. Here's the good news for us this morning. If you've wrestled with any of the above questions or others like it, Jesus, in all of his power and humility, went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for people that wrestle with those questions he went to the cross for disciples who wrestled with those questions. He didn't show up and say, oh man, these are the ones that I'm going to save. He loves you. He delights in you. Um, and he came for you. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, uh, once again, we just thank you. Thank you, Father, that you are God who speaks. 
You are a God who speaks better words than we could to our weary hearts. Um, You are a God who loves his people faithfully, even when we are faithless. And so would you help us this morning to see the Savior, the King who came, the King who conquered, so that we might be with you, so that we might draw near to you. Um, And Father, as we... As we draw closer to Jesus, as we see the beauty of his power and his humility at work for your purposes, would you use that to help us to love one another more? Would you use that to build up your church so that we might go forth to serve others around us, to bring glory to your name with a similar desire to to move forward in humility, even when you grant us power, would you make us a people humble because of who and whose we are? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.